0: Take your Bible, if you will. Turn with me to Psalm 27. It's on page 460, if you need help from your Pew Bible there. Psalm 27. This is the word of the Lord The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army and camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. May the Lord honor the reading of his word. Let's pray now together. Father in heaven. We thank you that though all hell may endeavor to shake, you will not desert us. You will not our soul forsake. Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to read your word, to hear from you, our Father. To be instructed in your way. To be able to sing of the truth of Scripture. To think about the work of Christ for us. We ask for your help now. In the precious and holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to begin with a rhetorical question. Have you had any trouble this week? And for the few of you who might say, well, no, no. Talk to one of us, we'll share some of our trouble with you. Uh, but you have not only had trouble, without a doubt you've seen trouble. It is all that is around us. And I wonder this morning if I might ask you the question, how are you dealing with the trouble in your life? Uh, what is the, the, the health meter look like when you consider the way you're dealing with the trouble in your life? And may I suggest to you this morning that Psalm 27 offers an unusual remedy, maybe one that you've not thought about in some time for the trouble of your life, and I will recommend it to you as we work our way through this passage this morning. If you've not been with us for some time, we take the Psalms each summer, or at least we have done for the last three. We're in Psalm 27. This is the, uh, one of the Psalms in the first book of the Psalms. There are five books within the book of Psalms. Uh, There's 41 Psalms in the first book. This is number 27. And we have been helped uh, by others to gain the theme of this first book, which is the king's confidence in God's care. And I might suggest to you this morning that it is the king's confidence in God's care amidst or amongst life's great difficulties. I find it interesting that one of the things we can see in this first book of the Psalms, and many others as well, is the way that the psalmist deals with the reality of distress in life. Uh, He is uh, not pie in the sky as if there is no trouble, uh, nor though is he so moved by the troubles he can't look up. 34 of the first 41 Psalms deal with some type of distress either corporately or individually and mainly the distress is coming from enemies now you have chosen to to come to church this particular Sunday morning and may I remind you that what you hold in your lap by way of either digital device or printed word is the only thing that you can possibly find in all of this world that is going to deal with the trouble of this life in a realistic way. There's nothing else out there. Now, you, you can go read other books and they will tell you how to have your best life now. You can go learn from other books how to feel better about yourself. You can go find out that me time supposedly brings you happiness and then you can try all of it and then you can go find another book that will help you with your impending depression. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't bring help amidst the reality of life. Only the Bible deals with the full reality of suffering and sorrow, sin, Satan, life, death, hope, happiness, and in the only way that's really possible, which is first through God and not through me first. So we have a, the Bible before us Psalm 27. Let me just help you, if you will. Uh, If you're looking at the psalm, which hopefully you are, it's a long one, 14 verses, longer than we've taken before, and I think it's helpful for us to see how this passage breaks down. So if you're looking at it, you'll see verses 1 through 3 is really the first section there. It is David marking God as opposed to the hopelessness of his enemies. It is David declaring the deliverance that only God can bring. And you'll see what's his question there. Who else should I fear but God? And then you can see him in verse 4, there's a shift. His desire is now declared. One thing, he says, have I asked of the Lord. And we will see that one thing is worship. And then you see 7 through 12, there's another shift in the passage. This is his prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that God would, would answer him, God would help him, God would deliver him, and we'll see why. And then finally the passage wraps up in 13 and 14 there, where there's two statements. Really it's one statement said different ways of waiting in confidence. So 1 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 through 12, and then 13 and 14. We'll take these one at a time. As we've stated before, Hebrew poetry finds its emphasis in the middle, not the end. Psalm 27 is a good example of that. The meat, if you will, the main idea is going to be found in the middle of our passage. Let's look first at 1 through 3. This is David's declaration of deliverance. Whom shall I fear but God? David's confidence is forged by personal experience in god's deliverance and it's hardened by reminder of how god had delivered uh, we could go to a lot of different passages in the old testament and think about the life of david but if you will would you just turn with me to one let's go to first samuel chapter 17 first samuel chapter 17 uh, you'll know this this is david and goliath uh, but it's a good singular example of the deliverance God gives to David and which David takes throughout the remainder of his life as a personal experience he can think about uh, you probably know this story even if you're not a believer Uh, David slays Goliath and you've probably heard a lot about this Uh, maybe you've been told you need to find five Goliaths in your life or maybe you need to find five stones of faith uh, throw all that out, it's not biblical. What we have here is a, is a, a war uh, between two champions and, and the champions are the champion of David, which is God and the champion of Goliath, which is an idol. And it's the question of, of who wins out. Who is to be worshipped? That's the question of David and Goliath here. But notice what David's got. Uh, he's a young boy, he doesn't have much, he has passion uh, that doesn't take you very far against, against giants, uh, but he has confidence in who God is. So if you're looking at your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17, look at verse 34. He's a, he's a boy, he trots out and says this, but David said to Saul, this is, this is the king of Israel, this is the king that should be doing the battle And he's not... uh, Saul is us. We are Saul in this passage. We are the ones trembling and cowering. And we need a warrior. We need one to come and fight for us. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock... I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Uh, I don't know about you. If you saw in the headline this week, a woman got attacked by a bear in her sleep. And so she took a laptop after him. Uh, that, so I would do it, right? Grab whatever and start whacking. What does David do? Hi, let's just see here. Beard. Submission. David is not just a simple guy. He's one who is confident in God being able to deliver. And he's willing to act in faith, trusting that God will work. For his glory. Verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. And from the paw of the bear. Will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. This is the desire. Of Satan. Is that God would not be defied and be exalted. And we could go through other passages, uh, but David is confident of God's deliverance because he's seen it happen. He has personal experience of it. Notice his his confidence is threefold. Back in verse 1 of chapter 27 of Psalms, uh, the Lord is his light. The Lord is his stronghold. The Lord is his salvation. He has a threefold shield, if you will. And we'll look more about that in a moment. There's some debate, even, of when David wrote this psalm. It seems clear he has uh, certainly had experience with battles. Uh, Some might think it's an expression of gratitude after a battle. Others think that it was written before a battle, and I'm inclined to think it was written before the battle. King David was and is a proper example for us of wrestling with his fears, doubts, and challenges. Uh, I don't know about you, But sometimes the best way to work out a problem is audibly. Uh, I remember staring at the instruction manual of something. And you read it and go, that doesn't make any sense. So you read it again, that still doesn't make any sense. And then you read it out loud. And you go, okay, okay, so part G goes with H. And then B goes with A. And you start working it out in your mind. That's what David's doing right here. He's working out In the open, for all to see, wrestling with his issues, teasing out the possibilities of solutions, testing theories. That's what he's doing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? He's thinking about, this is what I know. This is what I know. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Really, David? Though an army encamp against you? Really? No, it hasn't happened yet. It's when, though, possibility. Because of, I will not fear. Christian, there will never be a day you won't have to wake up and not do what David is doing right here. Remind you of the truth of who God is and what he's done for you. From the moment you open your eyes until they close again, it has to be game on. And if you're ever thinking, well, I've got five minutes before game on. No. Satan loves nothing better than the sound of feet hitting the floor and the brain spinning with fears and worries about the day. Oh, he delights in that. Oh, they're waking up. Watch it go. David knows this. You know this. The God who allowed us, allowed him to sleep in safety and in peace is the one who will guard and keep us until the end. And yet, what do we all have universally? Spiritual amnesia. And we must be in constant reminder of who God is and what God has done, who we are and what we cannot do. I asked you at the beginning about your trouble or troubles in life. Our problem isn't our problem. Our problem isn't our problems. Our problem is the size of our God. The size we think him to be, the power we think he has, the ability we give him does not match the reality of who he is. Now, I think that we have maybe at least in my life, one of the greatest examples of this, of how one views God and how then one responds according to the way they view God currently in our society today. So what's dominating the news? CHOP, which was CHAZ. So who knows what it's going to be in the third iteration, right? But right now it's CHOP. This place is supposed to be a peaceful protest. Why, two nights ago, someone got murdered. What is what is this? What do how do we view biblically things like chop? Well, it it isn't a problem of police brutality at its core. It's not a problem of race of racial tension in our country. It's a problem of authority. They have no fear of God in those three blocks. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. There's nothing new here. The testimony of CHOP is not one of racial reconciliation or opposing police brutality, but is one of rebellion against God's authority. And let me just say by way of sidebar here, watch that carefully because it's not about anything other than the rebellion against authority of who God is and how God has made them. Closely connected to the rebellion against God as authority is the rebellion against God as creating male and female. Those two opposing authorities are going hand in hand with that entire situation in Seattle. It's really, it's intertwined. They wouldn't have you believe that, but watch it carefully. What's the solution to places like that. I, I, we sang it this morning in Psalm 2. I couldn't help but think and smile, you'll break them with an iron rod, smashing them like a potter's jar. The, pro, the, the, the end of things like chop, and the problem with chop is not that the rebellion against the United States of America, red, white, and blue. No, it's that the rebellion against God and how God deals with his enemies, uh, smashing them like a potter's jar, it's not this gentle little crushing. They must bow the knee to Jesus Christ or be crushed. John Newton put it this way, and this is true for us. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. Think about that. Grace, the grace of God, what did it do? Did it relieve you of fear of God? No, it actually created in you a fear of God. A proper reverence of holy God and his authority. It made God much bigger than you could possibly comprehend. Then how does Newton continue it? And it was grace that fears relieved. Didn't relieve my fear of God, but relieved me of all other competing fears. This is what David is doing in Psalm 27, 1 through 3 here. He's just articulating the glory and magnitude of holy god that is alleviating him and giving him the faith to deal with all other competing fears trouble and difficulty one cannot be anxious and fearful about the day and at the same moment rest in the truth of god's omnipotence One cannot fearfully fret over COVID-19, the future of your children, the bills being paid, the marriage falling apart, and at the same moment meditate on the overwhelming presence of Almighty God. We don't have that capacity. It's one or the other. Now notice, though, what he's doing. If this is one through three, of declaring the deliverance of God four through six, he is expressing his one desire for God to deliver him. Meaning, if God, if you will deliver him, this, if you will deliver me from, for David's situation, his enemies, this is why. And that is for worship. Notice four through six there, one thing have i asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. You have all these word pictures here. You have house, dwelling, temple, shelter, tent. It is the presence of God in public worship of which David is desiring. I want to be with God's people in worship to God. And all of these enemies of mine, all of these difficulties of mine are, are hindering me from doing so. One could accurately state that the remedy for our fears and doubts is worship. I asked you at the beginning about trouble. Have you ever thought about worship being that which relieves trouble? The Psalms mark for us there is worship of the joyous, raucous kind, and there is worship of the lament and crying out to God kind. To turn in our fear to God in his word is worship. To turn in our fear away from God to another word is idolatry. Uh, I'll never forget uh, listening to a, a pastor that I know well on a podcast talking about the loss of a loved one and, and, and how it, it, it was mind-numbing. I'll never forget uh, Brandt after the loss of his first wife, Jenica. Mind-numbing pain. And both of those men, they had one desire. I want to go be at church and I want to sing. That's what they wanted. That was their one desire, is to set all of their heart and and tune it to who God is. They, They want to set all their fears over here and say, all of these things are distracting me from the worship of God. And if I can but look to Christ, if I can but sing about that truth, it will help me in all the pain and trouble that I'm experiencing. On Christ the solid rock I stand All other ground is sinking sand. There is a grace uh, that is corporate worship that has such a uniqueness that you can only know of it when you don't have it. Uh, I think we all experienced this. Thankfully now, six, seven plus weeks ago when we weren't all in the same room together. And I was experiencing corporate worship with my four children, my wife, and David, and Eddie, and Jet, and Paige. Which is great, but you weren't here. And you weren't experiencing corporate worship in that sense. And, and, and then we, we had this uniting. And why is it that the first week we were back, there were more tears than I've ever seen while singing in the history of our church? It's because that, it was missed. The the corporate worship of God, the the joining together with the saints, the grace that was missed because of that. I had two men this week uh, tell me uh, individually of the joy they have in worshiping God with God's people and how if they took time away from that, a couple weeks, a couple months and just said, you know what, I want to do something else on this Sunday. There's other competing things I'd like to be a part of. And they all said, listen, they both said, you would not recognize the poor health of my soul after these many weeks. What is David's one desire? To be with God's people and worship. And so you have here in this next seven, seven through 12, his prayer. His one desire is to worship. The test of true desire, verses four through six, is found in your level of seeking. Many want God to answer prayers, but don't want to seek after God. Many want to see the joy of heaven, but don't want to seek first the kingdom of God. Many want the benefits of sin forgiven, but don't want the exercise of fighting in faith with borrowed joy from the other side. How will you know the test, how will you know the health of your test or your trust in the Lord as your stronghold? It's how you respond and where you turn in time of calamity. David's desire to be with God in worship is worked out in pleading with God in prayer. Uh, I said, remember I said at the beginning, the middle is where the meat of this this is. This is the middle. Verse six, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Verse seven, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. This is his prayer, seven through 12. God, deliver me. Answer me in order that I might have this one desire. These foes are distracting me from worshiping you. It is your face that I desire to look at. It's this idea of looking to God. Can he see the face of God and live? No. But he can look to God. He knows, verse 9, that God is angry at the wicked every day. He knows the character of God. Notice notice the language he's using here. It's pleading. Uh, How can he say, Turn not your servant away in anger, O you have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation, verse 9. How can he say that and be confident? Those seem to be competing. If, If you're confident, you don't plead. state, right no that's that's not what's happening here if david was pleading and had his confidence in any other than god he would be wrong but to have our confidence in god we can plead and should plead we should cry out we should express god you must do what you've said you must be who you say that you are it entirely depends on who you are doing you're pleading to and begging from and when it's to god it's entirely right notice if you will the the fatherhood of god verse 10 for my mother, father and mother have forsaken me but the lord will take me in isaiah chapter 49 verse 15 can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. The fatherhood of God is, is unlike any father we know. When, when we think about our fathers, even today, some of us think, think about our fathers and all there is is the thought of Pain. He abused me. He hurt me. He spoke to me in an unkind way. And I have trouble dealing with my heavenly father because all I know is poor fatherhood. And the Bible tells us, flip that on its head. View your father, your heavenly father, for who he is. And then you can view your earthly father in the light of that, not the other way around. We don't, we don't, contribute to our heavenly father attributes that we learn from our earthly fathers we flip it the other way around we look to God as our heavenly father when we combine this second section and four through six of Paul's one desire and we see this third section of his prayer we see the heart of this passage David God save me in order that I might publicly worship you with all the saints unrestricted in any way? Uh, what is the reason for why we ask God to save us from difficult moments in our lives? You said you had trouble, or at least some of you were honest, honest enough to say that. When you ask God this week, God, I need you to deliver me from fill in the blank. Why? Well, I'll be honest. Uh, to my shame, it's rarely, if, if ever, have I consciously thought, God, would you deliver me from said problem so that I could go to church on Sunday morning and not have to think about that and worship you with clarity of mind and heart. So that I can open my Bible and not have to compete in my mind with all the what ifs and wherefores that's going on and I can just delight in who you are. Have you ever thought about that? God, would you you save me? Would you help me? Would you deliver me? Would you bring me to a day of peace away from all of this so that I could have a single-minded focus upon you? Give it some thought. The glorification of our great God, the ability that we might have of Of a single-minded focus, not distracted, to be able to worship him with the saints, mind, body, spirit, entirely enthralled with the wonder and glory of our God without distraction of all these things that are outside of these walls and all of the problems that I'm dealing with on the inside. That's David's burning desire. That's his desire for salvation, not to be just saved from his enemies, but to be able to worship What a convicting reminder to us. Our lives are not meant to be lived privately with the saints. Not to be, excuse me, our lives are not meant to be lived privately, but with the saints in joy, now for the joy that awaits on the other side. Verse 13 and 14, this last section here. And then we'll spend a few moments thinking about Christ. David now addresses the public in worship, verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew translation is, is much more helpful here. It's not, uh, I believe that I will, but this is the way the NASB translates it. I like it better. I would have despaired. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. It's, it's a question of, I'm going to walk by faith, not by sight. If we were to be walking by sight, we would be saying, I will not despair once I see the goodness of the Lord. I've got to see it, then I won't despair. David's saying, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see. It's all future tense. And notice it is his goodness that he knows he will see. He doesn't say, I would have despaired unless I believed that God would rid me of all my problems. No, he just said, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Not his health, wealth, or well-being, but God's goodness that he will see during his life. That's what it means in the land of the living. During my life, I believe that I will see God's goodness. Therefore, I do not despair. Psalm 62, verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Let's go in our Bibles to the left, Psalm 22, five chapters back. We, we've thought about this, Psalm 27. And now let's think about it in, as, the, as the prayer or the statement of Christ. We, we had some evildoers that desire to eat flesh in chapter 27 verse 2 David's enemies being pictured as wild animals look look what happens in verse 16 of chapter 22 how how Christ how David is articulating what Christ would experience on the cross for sinners For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet, I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me, they divide my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Christ's enemies were those who wished to see his flesh torn in death, and they were literally going to do the tearing. It wasn't figurative for Christ. Maybe toward the end of Psalm 27 there. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. Mark chapter 14 fifty five and fifty six. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none, for many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. What happens with David's life? Well the the false testimony against David is overthrown. What happens in Christ's life? It appears that Christ is given up to the will of his enemies. And yet, what do we know from Isaiah? He was not given up to the will of his enemies, but it was the will of God to crush him on behalf of his enemies. This is the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ could pray, twenty-seven, chapter 27, give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, Instead, give me up to your will, crush me, that I can take enemies and save them so that they might worship. That's the wonder of Christ. If you're, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, what I asked you about trouble. What protection has the world offered you now from your trouble? What what protection has the world offered you beyond the grave from your trouble? I don't know what you're trying. The Bible says it won't work. You, You may have lived long enough to experience all sorts of remedies for trouble and you sit here today and you say, I still got trouble. And am I telling you that if you go to Jesus Christ... And you look for him to resolve the greatest trouble you have, which is your sin against his Holy Father, that all your trouble is going to go away? No. Talk to anybody to the left or right of you. You will tell you they got maybe more trouble following Christ, but they have hope that that trouble has been remedied at the cross. And that because of the resurrection, you too will rise from the grave and have no more trouble. So it's a question of faith. It's not a question of logic. This is why Paul says the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. You're perishing in your trouble and you're thinking, that's not going to work, I've tried everything else. Would you plead with God, that's your only hope, to give you the faith to trust Him and save you from all your sin? Let me just set before you what it means to have Christ Saving you from your sin. And this is not just for you, the unbeliever, but even more so as a reminder for you, the believer here this morning. Just Psalm 27 The Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Christ is the light of the world. He is the one who created light in Genesis chapter 1. He's the one in John chapter 1 who is the light. John chapter 1, 4 through 5. In him was no darkness. He is the life, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has overcome it. He's the one all the way into Revelation of where there will be no more night in heaven. He's the one in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 20. Your sun shall no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended Christ as our light is our warmth. He's our clarity. He's our purification. He's our safety. He's revealing. He's burning. He's hot. He's all that light is. He's also our salvation. He was the salvation of the people of Israel from Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 15. He was the salvation from Israel's enemies. He's our salvation from not these enemies around us all around us but from the greatest enemy which is sin satan and the and the and the greatest remedy we need from which is god's wrath against our sin he's our stronghold this is why the tower of babel had to come down people are erecting strongholds that could just crumble this is why jericho is wasted in the bible it, th- this was the, the maddening fact of having to fight the people of Israel is they had no stronghold. They would come against your stronghold and crush it. and you're looking around going, "Where's their city? Where can I attack them?" And they have none. Because God was their stronghold. It infuriated them. This is the church. This is heaven. If God be for us, who can be against us? God has always been the fortress of his people as they conquered fortresses. The church is simply this, an unstoppable kingdom, ever advancing against established and crumbling kingdoms. I, I laugh when I read the news and see China ripping crosses off of churches. They're as frustrated as possible because all they're doing is plucking crosses, and it's doing nothing to stop the advancement of Christ's kingdom. In fact, it's fueling it. It's ironic, then, that the persecutors of the church over the history of the church have been described as madmen in how they dealt with Christians. You would be too if everything you did wasn't working to stop them. They just kept marching forward. In fact, the more maddening you got about them, the more they grew. If we put on Christ, if Christ is put on us in Ephesians chapter 6, he gives us the shield of faith of which we block the fiery darts of the wicked. And we simply lift it in faith. We assess the arrow of temptation. We recognize what is being thrown at us and we in faith turn in belief and walk in confidence of the truth of God's word and not the temptation thrown our way. And because of Christ, we have hearts that have turned by his grace from desires and from desire and singular ability to worship the stuff of this world and now to be able to worship God. And this is what awaits for us. The greatest stronghold, which is heaven. No more distracting thoughts on Sunday morning. No more sinful thoughts in church. No more consequences for my sin that burden me with guilt. No more troubled mind. No more fears. No more doubts. No more whys. It's no wonder that the Apostle John ends the book of Revelation with, so come Lord Jesus, come. It is when we look upon the relationship of God the Father and Christ the Son that we gain faith to walk in these days of difficulty. How the Father treats his Son is how he treats you. His love for his Son is the love he has for you. His care and life and sustaining grace until death is the same that he has for you. And let me remind you, there's only one difference in how Christ deals with his Son as compared to how he deals with you. That is, he poured out his wrath against all sinful humanity on his son. And for the rest of his children, he will never do that. He did it for the firstborn so that we might be his children. David knows of God's faithfulness to deliver by ways of personal experience. We know of God's faithfulness to deliver by way of personal experience. If we would pause long enough to look at it. And yet we have more. We have the face of a risen Savior to look upon who has promised to come again. What more do we need? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Ecclesiastes its a pretty good description of this life. Vanity of vanities, souls full of trouble, lives of difficulty. It reminds us, Father, that in this world we will have sorrow. And yet we praise you this morning that because of the work of Christ, we can take heart we can wait, we can with confidence know courageously that God will work and is working. Wait, you tell us, upon you. Father, we pray that this week that that might be an active waiting. It might be a waiting that finds itself working in worship and in your word and with the saints and in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have answered our prayer. You answer our prayers. Your promises are always faithful to come true. And we lean upon those entirely this morning. Father, when we doubt this week, we ask that you would lift our eyes to look to Christ, of which has made an end to all our sin. That we would be reminded That in Christ, we have light. We have deliverance. We have the holding power of God to keep us. Father, strengthen us. There are those here this morning that are weary. And their worship looks like lament and tears. And that is proper. And we ask that you would encourage them. As they take their sorrow to you. And we have those here this morning that are rejoicing because they have seen a burden lifted. And we ask that you would strengthen their faith. May they not forget the way you answered the prayer. Father, we pray that this week might be a week of worship, that our hearts would sing, our, our eyes would look upon the truth when faced with temptation. May you be pleased, Father, with the meditation of our heart with the words of our mouth Father help us as your church to stand strong in these days the truth is hated regardless of your black white green brown or red and as we seek to stand for truth Father may we do so with confidence now our our end is secure and heaven awaits Father we thank you for this morning we pray that Our time of fellowship here in a few minutes might be strengthening to one another. All for your glory. In the precious and holy name of Christ we pray. Amen.